<laughs> and I'm going to stand by that. Good. So, anyways, are, you, are we ready to get into this? Sure. 38. 8. Right? That's what I got. I think so. I think that's right. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of 4.30 in the morning. This is your boy, Ben. And Pat is back as well. Happy Independence Day, people. Yes. This is recorded on... Well, I guess Independence Day is already over, July 5th. Technically, but... But we're still celebrating here. We're still celebrating. At 4.30 in the morning. We're always celebrating our our independence. It's great to be American, isn't it? It's pretty great, man. It's great to be free. Great to be free. And we celebrated this week. It was a pretty good weekend, all things considered. We've had eventful days. We definitely have. Anyways, uh, episode 38, pretty good. Pretty good number. 38 special. We'll call this the 38 (laughs) special. Sure. That's a perfect title. And then Pat's always good with that shit. And then Facebook seems to be doing pretty well so far. Yeah. Ben's been doing really well with the management of that whole. Did did you like what what I've been putting on there? I I, only put like two things on there. I liked it, but but I didn't didn't click the like button. No, I I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we got like, we got more followers on the Facebook than we do on Twitter right now. No shit. I think we've got 11 Facebook followers. No shit. Only like, I think we got eight Twitter followers at this point. So. That's awesome. The Facebook's doing good. Uh, thank you to anybody who has followed us on Twitter or has followed us on Facebook. We appreciate the outreach. Please share anything that we've posted on either Facebook or Twitter. Share it with your friends. Let people know about the show. We need to get as many listeners as possible. Definitely. The content has been great. Anyways, uh, you got any news stories today? Sure, man. Yeah. I'm going to start with the cool one first. This okay. is from CNN, our favorite. Oh, this is the best news source out there. Agree to disagree. In fossilized dinosaur poop, scientists find treasure. This is You're going to like this one. Wait, fossilized dinosaur poop. Yes. They found treasure? Yes. Okay. You might think fossilized feces are only full of crap, but new research on one specimen has turned up to be hidden treasure, a 230 million year old previously undiscovered beetle species. So within the turd, there was a beetle? Yep. Okay. Now, sorry if I screw this up, named Tria Myxa coprolithia. I'm sorry, coprolithica. The tiny beetles are also the first insects to be described from fossilized feces, or coprolites. Interesting. And were visible by scanning by a scanning method that uses strong x-ray beams, according to a study published Wednesday in the journal Current Biology. Besides the discovery of the beetles in the coprolite, the scientific name also refers to the Triassic period, which lasted roughly 252 million to 201 million years ago, and the suborder of bugs called Myxophaga, small aquatic or semi-aquatic beetles that eat algae. Interesting. So yeah, man, they found a... A beetle? A beetle 250 million years ago. Now, I wonder how they decided to cut open the dinosaur poop. Like, it's fossilized dinosaur poop. You would think in and of itself, that'd be something pretty valuable. Right. You would think. Sure. Anyway, that's really interesting. It's a really cool one. Yeah. Check that out. It's on uh, CNN. CNN. See, not the best source, but at least they're giving us something. Right. At least something. something. You always, again, every episode just about, you got something, either dinosaurs or archaeology or anthropology going on. So that's pretty cool. I like it a lot. Anyways, my first news story. Are you ready? Sure. This one's from Fox News, but this one I found pretty much on every website I was on. Tokyo Man evicted twice, decades apart, for Japan's Olympic construction. Kohai Jino described what it was like moving in 1964 and then moving again in 2016 <laughs> as Tokyo prepared for the game. So you know that the Olympics are going on in Tokyo right now? Yeah. Are they getting ready to put them on? It's supposed to be happening last year, but they select these cities like years in advance yeah. for the Olympics. So back in 1964, I think they hosted, either that year or I don't know what year it was, but they hosted the Olympics and he got evicted. And this was a guy that Damn. survived World War II and his house burned down during World War II and his family had to move somewhere else and then he got 
got evicted in 1964. Jesus. And then back in 2013, after if they found out that Tokyo was going to host a 2020 Olympics, plans started pretty much right away, and he received another eviction notice <laughs> saying that he had to vacate, and then he was oh, forced out so of his home terrible. eventually for for good in 2016. He's 87 now, and he's getting tired <laughs> of the shit. Yeah, no shit. So are, did, did they offer any type of assistance in moving? Apparently, he was offered like $1,500 or something. Well, it's just it's 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 a stupid small amount. Yeah, that's not enough. Yeah, I don't even know what their currency is worth. I don't know. You know and compared to U.S. dollars, it, it it's not good. And he's upset. He's just like, well, they could have asked nicely, and said so they were just like, oh yeah, by the way, Olympics preempted your house or your place. My gosh, you have to be out by this date. That's terrible. And his wife was alive at the time, and it pretty much the finding out about the whole thing killed her, and she ended up dying in 2018 after they moved Are you pretty quickly. Me? Unbelievable. But they don't care. The Olympics trump everything. Apparently. So he's been evicted. <laughs> twice I, I can't imagine like 50 60 years apart like they at least got to buy them out yeah something you would think like, I, I would assume that they at least gave them property value and then an extra whatever but even yeah. even with that if you've got a house that you like that's never gonna be worth it it's never gonna be worth what you want right you know eminent domain is a very controversial topic mm-hmm. because who gives them the right i mean you own the land you've been paying taxes on this land for however long you don't own shit man i know it's bullshit though <laughs> it is bullshit and i don't know about you i don't like the olympics i don't know how you feel about the whole thing i'm not a fan it's all right i don't think it's gonna last that much longer because while it's a globalization thing it, it's pushed by the globalists sure to kind of give people globalized uh real sports fans don't give a shit about the olympics it's, i honestly just like watching the wrestling sure wrestler sure and a lot of people are into that to an extent yeah but it's it's financed and fueled by casual fans that like the fanfare they like watching all the countries walk out onto the stadium sure they like all the theatrics of the thing without really caring about the actual events but these days i mean nationalism is a bad thing at these these days according to the mainstream media mm-hmm. so why are we doing this event that is like the purest form of nationalism as far as i'm concerned competing for your country sure like that's nationalism if there's ever been nationalism <laughs> so i have a feeling that that angle is gonna make the olympics look like, look like a bad thing sure but then again too like in the united states at least nbc dominates olympic coverage and nbc is probably one of the worst broadcast companies in the world probably and they're owned by comcast i don't know if you knew that did you know that nbc was owned by comcast i think you've told me that before and what's interesting is the majority shareholder in comcast is that vanguard group that i talked about the investment bank vanguard uh-huh. i've talked about them before and they also own the most shares of their biggest competitor which is at&t vanguard owns the most shares of that company too so the two biggest media companies in the united states owned by the same investment bank and they have the second most shares right now in news corp which owns fox news so largest shareholder in nbc cnn and second largest in fox news crazy the illusion of media choice isn't a thing yeah you're not lying man so anyways i saw that was interesting so this poor guy kohai gino evicted twice (laughs) because of the fucking olympics fuck the olympics man. i have a feeling he is not gonna be tuning into the games probably not (laughs) (laughs) anyways i'd complain man but and then you hear you hear about it too like they spend so much money building these stadiums and it's like oh it's gonna bring so much to the city yeah a lot of them are just banking for years afterwards just you put up all these structures and then they're just left there right it ends up doing more harm than good for the community unless you own like the right shop at the right place and you're just bringing in a lot of high money travelers they're just throwing money away the average person probably isn't benefiting a whole lot from the Olympics 100% so anyways you got any more news today yeah I have another one from CNN (laughs) Atlanta woman wakes up to find a wild African cat on her bed yeah you know I saw this one today what do you got pretty crazy an Atlanta woman woke up to a surprise when a cat that was not hers jumped onto her bed Wednesday morning she was even more shocked to discover the cat was a serval an exotic cat native to Africa Christine Frank who lives in the Brookhaven neighborhood, told 
CNN that the cat came into the house shortly after her husband took their dog outside, leaving a door open. The cat was just six inches from her face, Frank said, and she scared it off the bed. I said, that's not a normal house cat. I don't know what that is, but I'm terrified right now, she said. Frank said she slowly got out of the room and her husband opened the bedroom door and let out and let it outside, allowing the cat to leave the house. Afterwards, I was like, was that a bobcat? Was it a leopard? Was it a baby? Was it a mom? Frank said. <laughs> she called Animal Control, which told her to contact the Department of Natural Resources, which is now investigating. It still kind of terrifies me because the cat is illegal and there's a reason it's illegal. So I really don't know what it is capable of doing. The cat is still on the loose. Frank thinks the, the serval, which she estimated to be about two and a half feet tall, is someone's pet. Owning a wild cat is illegal in Georgia, but there is no federal laws against it according to the Animal Legal Defense Fund. Yeah, I've heard about those cats before. They're like big ass, like bigger than house cats, but smaller than like a, like a lynx or whatever. Apparently people own them as pets. There was one that got loose in Detroit and it was just a family pet. And you know, Detroit, right. Cat was out there and all the gangsters were out there with their guns. <laughs> And they eventually shot the thing. Are you kidding yeah, me? Yeah, and they found it in a trash can. Oh, my God. But... Yeah, you probably shouldn't have one of those. You probably shouldn't, but it, that that's a common thing. We're going to... That is going to be a common thing that we're going to be seeing. Is that's these so funny, cats. Though. And the fact that it got into her bed, that's what makes it a little bit crazy. <laughs> yeah, how'd it get in the house? But there are lots of those out there. And some people, like, try to, like, breed. Like, they'll have, like, one in, like, a normal house cat, so they just have, like, a bigger... They try to breed them to have, like, a bigger house cat, basically. Right. But it's weird. C- could you imagine waking up to that? No, I would I would lose my shit. I'd shoot the thing. Like, seriously. <laughs> now, granted, I've never had a, that big of an animal ever get into my house, but I wouldn't be happy about that. I don't know how you would feel. You know, my sister and her husband... Yeah. Like one of the first nights they were in their house that they bought, a bat got in there. Oh god! And they were fighting with that thing. <laughs> I'm trying to think. I don't know if we ever had a bat get into the house. We've had birds get in. We've had several birds get in. We haven't had any animals, really, as far as I know. But then when I was a little kid at my uncle's house, it was like winter and it was like really snowing out hard. So we he, we got a board game called Battle Ball. It's a really cool board game. Mm-hmm. So we set that up and we were playing that and it was a really fun game and the snow started falling really hard and we, then we heard a thump in the chimney in the fireplace. He had like one of those, you know those like duplexes where it's like one half is the top and then the other half is the bottom? Yep. He was on the top floor of the duplex. So we walk over to the fireplace and it was, there was snow like in the fireplace but it wasn't anything to really be concerned about. Ah, it was just snow falling down or whatever. No big deal. We hear another thump, a heavier thump. <laughs> I'm like, that didn't sound like snow. Like, ah, it was just snow. But I walked over to the fireplace to check it out anyways and I'm like, ah, well, we got a squirrel in the fireplace right <laughs> <laughs> now that was one of these like big ass fat brown squirrel, oh, squirrels no. so it creeped its way out and we didn't know what to do like, we both froze and we were like well our board game is definitely gonna get knocked over in this process <laughs> he had you know remember those plasma screen tvs back yep, in the day i remember he had one of those and he was terrified of the thing clawing it yeah and, like, ripping the screen apart so that was the biggest fear we didn't know what to do because neither of us are animal control experts sure so we ended up like not having a plan and just panicking basically <laughs> and the squirrels just kind of wandering around so our idea our idea idea was to like bait it outside and he had like a leftover hot dog so he's like leaving little bits of the hot dog like in a trail because there were two doors up to the up to the duplex so there's a front door down there and a back door and stairways going down so we had the doors open positioned and we were gonna try to bait it out one of the doors and that plan didn't really work too well so the squirrel started getting a little bit more aggressive at that point i left the apartment i was just outside like i'm not gonna deal with this shit so he was up there with a broom against the squirrel and then the squirrel jumped and like landed on his thigh it didn't scratch him or anything but it got really close oh my god and then it lost his shit so then there's like a little bit of a scuffle and then i just hear pat coming your way (laughs) 
and then the squirrel comes flying down the stairs and like jumps out of the out of the out of the stairway. No shit, that's and hilarious. It was funny. We looked at the damage, and the board game was untouched, so we were pretty happy about that. But there were paw prints like everywhere, like on the end tables and all over the apartment. Then we had to pick up the little hot dog bits that we left everywhere because that didn't work. Because I don't think squirrels eat hot dogs. Jesus. So, anyways, that's funny. Sorry man. about that little tangent. No, that's good. That was funny. Anyways, so that was a cat in Georgia. Yep. All right. I've got one more news story, and this is from your favorite BBC. Hmm. And this one's out of Nigeria. Mannequins banned from display in shops for causing immoral thoughts. <laughs> display dummies that mimic the human form have been banned in a northern China, in a northern Nigerian state because they violate Islamic teachings. So apparently in the state of Kano, they use Sharia law. It's a state in Nigeria, and they use Sharia law. Okay. Uh, according to the Islamic, the state's Islamic police force, the mannequins are also responsible for immoral thoughts among some members of the public. So for some reason, these mannequins are too provocative some people might be, you know, thinking these mannequins are a little hot. <laughs> they might. <laughs> uh, I wasn't going to go that far. Maybe. Uh, the, the the story says immoral thoughts. Maybe it was but maybe somebody was getting a little down and little, dirty with a mannequin. Uh, oh, God. Uh. I hate to speculate on that, but you're probably right. <laughs> so apparently you can't have mannequins that mimic the human form now in the state of Nigeria, in this state in Nigeria. And offenders will face arrest and prosecution. Shop owners will also be subject to raids in the future to ensure compliance. Jeez. So, don't have mannequins in Nigeria is the moral of that story. Happy 4th of July. Everybody. I wonder, there had to have been an incident. Like you said, there had to have been an incident. Had, something had to have happened. That led to them determining that immoral thoughts were going to be... Were, there, something had to have happened. I don't know. I'm done with news. Are you done with news? I'm all set with news, man. So, we talked about our main topic this week, and we really didn't <laughs> have it like set in stone. So, I researched like the craziest battles and like the craziest war stories in history. Sure. That's kind of what my... My main topic was what was your main topic it was kind of that uh i have i have a couple little stories and then i have like one kind of like military mystery type thing okay so it's gonna be like like weird war stories or just yeah, interesting war stories yeah or... maybe okay something like that we'll let you guys decide anyways do you want to kick it off or do you want me to kick this one off i'll kick it off all righty so have you ever heard of teddy roosevelt yes we talked to him on the last episode we sure did so i think most people know that he was a pretty amazing soldier did a lot of combat and everything like that but a lot of people don't know some of the details about uh, the spanish-american war sure and uh he's kind of a badass man okay so during the outbreak of the spanish-american war teddy roosevelt was serving as secretary of the navy and he didn't enjoy that desk job so he, he wanted to be in the heat of the battle so he resigned from being secretary of the navy so first of all let me get into just a little bit of a quick history about the spanish-american war and why it was started and what's kind of sparked teddy roosevelt to get out of that desk job all right so cuba was pretty much under oppression from the Spanish back in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Yep. And the United States was very much interested in Cuba's independence from the Spanish. Teddy Roosevelt was as well. Yes. So Teddy was eager to resign because of what happened. And basically the the start of the Spanish-American War, what happened was the United States sent over a battleship to Cuba, to Havana, the USS Maine. You know about the USS Maine? Yes. When the USS Maine got to the dock in Havana, Cuba, it blew up. It exploded. 
exploded. Yep. And they don't really know what happened. They don't. They didn't, They never really discovered what happened, but they're pretty sure that this was an act of war by the Spanish. And basically, the U.S. declared war. There's also evidence that it might have been set up. It Just, could. It could have yeah. been used as a false flag to start war with the Spanish. Yeah. It's. I, I it's, had a feeling you'd come up with something like. It's interesting. <laughs> no. It, yeah, you're right. There was. There's a lot of controversy about that whole thing. Yeah. Anyways. But, but this this basically sparked Teddy to uh, to leave that desk job and get into the heat of the battle again. Sure. And at the time, I believe it was uh, McKinley was president. They called for a volunteer like cavalry, and he called for 125,000 men. So he basically he basically called for a, a volunteer cavalry. So Teddy Roosevelt and a guy named uh, Colonel Leonard Wood, they were actually friends back in the day, and they basically um, started this volunteer cavalry in the U.S. Army. And uh, what sparked from this volunteer cavalry, Teddy Roosevelt, he was obviously a very funny and personable and famous guy. He ended up becoming a de facto leader and organizer of a group called the Rough Riders. Yep. And the Rough Riders, they were a very diverse group of like cowboys and Native Americans, blacks, people like people that he went to college with. Okay. Like a bunch of like <laughs> yeah, it was a very diverse group Rag, of people. Ragtag group. Yeah, it's I like, like it. a, yep, it's like a ragtag group, polo players, hunters, and yeah, these guys basically became soldiers. And the Rough Riders, they arrived in Cuba on June 23rd, 1898. And their the, the first action that they saw was the, the Battle of Las Guasimas. Okay, we'll go with that. Guasimas? I think that's how you... Guasimas? I think that's how you say it. And uh, basically, Roosevelt, he took uh, flanking positions, and that basically made... This was a very quick war. This was yes. called the Little Splendid War, and it only lasted like 10 weeks. Yeah. And the United States basically just pushed right through them. And But the second battle was uh, the uh, the city of Santiago and the uh, the Battle of San Juan Heights. You ever hear of that? Yes. This was a pretty famous battle for Teddy, for Teddy Roosevelt. And that battle was fought on July 1st. And Roosevelt describes it as the, the great day of his life, which is uh, which is pretty crazy to say. Yeah. And July 1st is also Bobby Bonilla Day. Yes. Bet you didn't know that. <laughs> Anyways. He led charges up Kettle Hill in, San, in the San Juan Heights on his horse while the Rough Riders, they ran on foot. Roosevelt would encourage his riders as he wrote, as he rode. I always think of uh, Benjamin Martin when that happens. Of course you do. <laughs> and what's crazy is he had a he had salvaged a revolver from the wreck of the USS Maine and he used it to kill one of the Spaniards in that particular battle. That's crazy. Which is kind of badass. Yeah. And Roosevelt really liked that battle. He 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 described it as as it was great fun and he was <laughs> and that it was a bully type fight. <laughs> Yeah. So after the fighting seized and the uh, city of Santiago fell, the Treaty of Paris happened, and America got its first possessions. They got Guam, Puerto Rico, and the Philippines out of the Treaty of Paris, which ended up proving to be very important in World War Two. Yes, having very all important. that territory. So, and what's crazy is it took a hundred years for Teddy Roosevelt to receive the Medal of Honor for that. Really, the Battle of San Juan. Yep, that's crazy. Yeah. And I just did a research on the history because I was trying to figure out when he became vice president. So he returned to the United States as a war hero afterwards. Yep. And then uh, McKinley's vice president died in office and they just didn't replace him. So Roosevelt joined the ticket when McKinley got reelected mm. in 1901 and ended up taking over shortly thereafter after McKinley got assassinated in 1901. And we talked about McKinley being assassinated in our previous episode. We did. So <laughs> that's how that's how the whole timeline matched up. So I was trying to figure out when Teddy Roosevelt came out of the scene. Right. And obviously he was a perfect guy to put on the ticket at that point. He's only 42 years old. Governor. I think he's a governor of New York or something. 
something. So that was pretty good. Sorry, that was a little choppy. I thought it was pretty good. And then the Spanish-American War ended up being very significant because at that point, it really put the United States post-Civil War on the global... Yes. Like, on the global radar in terms of a military force. Yep. As In terms of a, if we need help, maybe we can call on the Americans and maybe they might be able to kick some ass. Sure. Which we're going to see happening 20 years later in World War II. No Or shit. World War One. Yep. And it's weird to think about the Spanish-American War. Everybody thinks that's ancient history, but that's only 20 years before... Yeah, it's not that, it's not that long ago. Before World War One. Right. So, and then World War One is what made the United States a global superpower, and then World War Two solidified that. So, right. Anyways, that was a good and, breakdown. And, and what was what was crazy about that is the whole Rough Riders thing is they when they got there they had a significantly less amount of men because a lot of them uh, got sick and shit coming over. Yeah, and that was another big problem with the Spanish American War. Well, yeah. These guys were getting sick. Yep. They, that was yeah, it was rough. But Teddy made it happen. They made it happen. Yes, absolutely, they did. And Colonel uh, Leonard Wood, he's not talked about much in that, but sure, he he played a significant role. Yep. So that was it's a weird war, and it's one you, it's, it's interesting to learn about. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, if the world wars didn't happen so shortly after the Spanish-American War happened, they would probably have a bigger place in history. But um, still, interesting nonetheless. That was a good breakdown. Thanks. Tried. I got three, and then I'm probably going to do a fourth one as well. Sure. My first three, though, are all going to be World War II stories. I feel like this is going to be a very World War II heavy episode. And I've had I've had a lot of different breakdowns on World War II throughout the podcast. But my first one I want to talk about, and this is a the story of a soldier, a United States soldier from the 101st Airborne, the Screaming Eagles. I don't know if you're, you're familiar with them. I think so, yeah. Banner Brothers, that's the... Yes. This guy's name is Joseph Byerly. I don't know if you've heard that name. I'm pretty sure I've told you about him at some point, but we haven't talked about him on the podcast before okay i read his story last year in a book called behind hitler's lines his his individual war story now he was an airborne soldier at age 20 during d-day you know how they they dropped in the airborne guys before the lane invasion so you had the troops the paratroopers landing in normandy the night before d-day happened you know what i'm talking about yes and uh so he jumped in and the problem with those those air jumps was it was under the cover of nightfall and it was complete chaos so you're just dropping these guys into german territory you've got no idea where the hell they're gonna land at right planes are going down you're getting shot at you're in deep heavy enemy territory there's really no help except for the guys that you're gonna land with right so you land and your first objective is to find somebody that's an american and there's a whole bunch of planning as to how you're gonna actually do this because you're you don't know where the hell you're gonna land at there's no control over the parachute so there were a lot of like ideas as to how are we gonna get guys to actually form up and do anything because one random soldier landing in enemy territory is not gonna be able to do much but a squad can do a lot more you know what i mean Right. So one of the plans that they had was they had these little clicking devices that mimicked the sound of a cricket. <laughs> so the idea was you would click it and it would sound like a cricket to the Germans, but the United States troops knew exactly how it sounded so they'd know if they were close to Americans, basically. Right. Now that worked, like, initially, but the Germans caught on to that almost immediately. Oh so they'd capture God. an American, take his clicker, and right. then just attract him right into the, right oh into a trap, basically. Gosh. So that didn't work as well as they thought was going to happen. But in the case of Joe By early, he landed on top of a church in the middle of nowhere, and he was just, like, nowhere near any of his guys. So he stayed up there for a few days until, basically, his supplies ran out. Then he was on the ground for a while. Pretty quickly, he got caught by the Germans. And I was like, shit, my war is over, basically. Because when they captured Allied soldiers, they'd just pump them east and the whatever prison they could put them in, basically. So he got captured, and um, the convoy that he ended up in got attacked by Allies pretty quickly, and he escaped. No shit. And he was free for almost a full day, but he got recaptured pretty quickly because, again, he had nowhere to go because he was deep within lines. The push hadn't really... 
It took him like six weeks just to get out of Normandy. I don't know if you knew that Damn. during D Day because there was that there it was that heavy of a resistance force. Like it wasn't like they were just gonna march right on through. Right. So that was there was a lot of like heavy fighting right then and there. So he ended up getting captured a second time and then he got taken to a prison in Poland. Now he was taken to a bunch of different prisons. You get transferred a lot, but he ended up in a prison in Poland. There he uh you know how prisoners get rations and one of the rations back then was cigarettes. Mm-hmm. He didn't smoke, but he collected a whole bunch of cigarettes anyways. Just as because as like currency among the American prisoners. Yeah. And in these prison camps, there was a very, very structured order between the prisoners in terms of who was in charge and how the prisoners govern themselves basically within prison. And escape attempts had to go through like it's like panel. So you had to come up with a good idea. You had to be friends with somebody and get it to the panel of prisoners that would approve or disprove your prison escape plan. Because <laughs> obviously the, the remaining prisoners face punishment. Yeah. If guys were escaping. So and then there was a guy that was the man of confidence. Who was like the top dog in the prison, basically. <laughs> the man of confidence. I thought that was a great title. So he would get to know like the politics of the prison every time he'd go to a new prison, basically. His plan was to accumulate a whole bunch of cigarettes, and then he was going to use them to bribe a German guard. Now, the relationship with the German guards was always interesting because you just never knew who you are going to get. And a lot of times, they had decent relationships with the German guards in these prison camps. Sometimes you had German guards that really wanted to be out on the front and didn't want to be stuck doing guard duty, so they'd be dicks. But a lot of times, there would be German guards that are like, hey, you know, I'm not out there fighting on the front lines. This is a pretty good gig. Right. And they'd be reasonably respectful to the prisoners, you know. Yeah. So he ended up bribing some guards with the cigarettes, and they were looking the other way as him and a couple other guys jumped a barbed wire fence. And there was a, there was a lot more to it, but that was the main escape plan was to jump the fence. Yeah. And then they ran to a train. The train was supposedly going to be going to Warsaw, where there was a heavy resistance movement that they were going to be able to join up with right away because there was a lot of Polish resistance in Warsaw coalescing against the Germans. So they're like, well, we're going to go there. We're going to join them up. And that, that's going to be a good, safe spot for us to continue fighting but have to worry about getting recaptured really quickly. Mm-hmm. Well, they ended up on the wrong train and there was a supply train going straight back to Berlin. <laughs> so they still aboard this train and they get captured and taken back to Berlin, which is like the worst place you could be at that point. Yeah. Back in late 1944. So he ended up getting interrogated by the Gestapo oh, and they no. tortured the fuck out of him and just interrogated the hell out of him because he had the last name Byerly, which is a German last name. So he took even worse punishment for being a traitor to the German race or something like that, basically. Jesus. So, shit kind of hit the fan with him with that whole thing and he was like beaten within the inch of his life basically like he thought he was going to die there like that was the end of his story yeah what ended up happening was the 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 officers from the prison that he escaped from came back to try to like reclaim him and take him back because at that point the war they a lot of the officers knew that the war was going to end and they were going to have to answer for the prisoners that they yeah war crimes and shit like that so they were fighting with the Gestapo over jurisdiction over him during that whole thing he ended up getting his strength back just enough to escape again and he ended up escaping out of Berlin somehow, which the whole, <laughs> the logistics, I'm not getting into the logistics, but he, he made it out basically. It's ridiculous. At that point, he decided to head east towards the Red Army. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and that was his plan because he knew that the Red Army was, was making their push. This was like January of 45 at this point. So he knew that they were going to be making his push. Their, their push in, they were going west. So he was like, I'm just going to go east. I'm going to run into them and I'm going to take my chances basically. So he found this like tank division and he showed up waving his arms and yelling, I'm an American and French or not French and Russian basically trying to get some attention and hoping that they weren't just going to kill him on the spot because he didn't know what the hell to expect. This is the Red Army. Americans right. and the Red Army really weren't interacting a whole lot during World War II. Right. So what ended up happening was this 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 tank division was commanded by a woman and she was the only tank commander in the entire Red Army. So that was, that's interesting in and of itself. But uh, they had like these like infantry units that would go along with the tanks and most of them were uh, were Siberian like Mongol guys and they like they're like 
literally like the little stop Mongols yeah. who the Russians use as cannon fodder basically. So he ended up kind of like joining a group with them, but they decided to take him into the Red Army. They gave him a rifle and everything and some vodka. No and they're shit. like, shit, you know, he seemed like a good enough guy. They couldn't really communicate a whole lot, but they let him fight with the Red Army. And the Red Army really liked him because he was a hard fighter because obviously he's a badass if he escaped three times and all that shit. Right. So he ended up fighting with them for a month and he even went back and liberated the prison that he escaped from in the first place. <laughs> but uh, in 1945, just a little bit shy of the Red Army taking Berlin, uh, he was injured pretty badly in an air raid and the tank commander ended up getting killed and they got shelled pretty badly by these by a German air raid. Now he survived and he ended up in a German, or not a German, a Russian hospital off the front. One of the Russian generals, Marshal Georgi Zukov, who's a faint, pretty famous Russian commander during World War II, found out about him and visited him in the hospital and was kind of asking him a story like, hey, you know, I heard you're an American fighting with us. What's the deal, basically? And he ended up helping uh, Byerly get to the American embassy in Moscow. Nice. So that was it was a stroke of luck, basically, because Dude, that guy's this guy, life could be a... Why, have movies been made about this guy I don't yet? know how there hasn't been a movie made about it. <laughs> but he, we're not even done yet. So he gets back to the embassy, and it was just luck that this Russian general ended up, like, giving him the rubber stamp in, because no one knew who the hell this guy was. Right. He could have been anything. So the Americans initially figured he was a German spy. So they arrested him immediately. <laughs> <laughs> after all this, they put him under arrest at the, at the American embassy in Moscow. And then after a while, they were running background checks on him, just checking his story, basically. Because even though he'll get a little bit of correspondence out in prison, but not a lot for a very long time, the official U.S. record of him was that he was killed in action. So they wrote back to his home, and it's like his family would get a postcard, hey, I'm alive, and then the, US, <laughs> the United States will say, hey, I'm dead. Then they get another thing saying, hey, I'm alive from him. And you were able to get some correspondence out when you were in prison. It did just depending on where you're at, basically. Yeah. So eventually they were pretty much like, well, he's dead, basically. So they had a funeral for him and everything back home, not right. anticipating yeah. a body was ever going to show up because bodies didn't show up back right. back then. So they found out he was dead. Eventually they got him back to the front, and still they were kind of like hesitant as the like, what's this guy's story? Because he had been out of contact since he landed. He'd been out of contact with the Americans outside of in prison, but the prisoners weren't really in contact with American forces a whole lot. Right. So eventually he ended up making it home and like the Red Army gave him a whole bunch of medals. The United States ended up giving him a whole bunch of medals and everything. And then he ended up going back home and he got married in the in the church and by the priest that did his funeral two years prior. <laughs> so that's kind of how the story ended. The, the one funny thing about him is his jump into Normandy wasn't his first jump into Normandy. Before D-Day, they were working with French resistance fighters trying to just, you know, trying to just keep the Germans occupied on the ground, basically. So what they would do is they would send in lone paratroopers into Normandy with gold to pay off these French resistance fighters just to keep them fighting, basically. And he had been selected to do that prior to D-Day. <laughs> so they, they say that he was probably the first person to jump in the in the Normandy. The first American boots on the ground was him months prior, just doing this covert payoff mission for the resistance. That's insane. So it's, dude. yeah, it's... How a movie has not been made about this dude makes no sense to I me. don't know. And uh, the book was uh, Behind Hitler's Lines. It's, it's excellent. The yeah, author, I can't remember the author's name. I'll have to look that up, man. But the I author... read that. The author was also, he ended up being, he served in the 101st later on. So there was kind of like a 101st bond between these two guys. And he ended up meeting Joe later in life because he lived until like 2010s or something. He lived for a while. No shit. So he ended up talking to him later on at a, at a 101st reunion at something. And it was like, how the hell hasn't the story been told basically? Right. And then, uh, his son ended up becoming like the U S ambassador to Russia, <laughs> which is pretty interesting.
interesting. Are you kidding me? And Joe would go back to Moscow quite a bit after that. So no shit. It was interesting. And then they were able to verify pretty much everything in the story. It's like it wasn't he just wasn't making any of this up. They were right. able to verify everything. So I mean, he's he, incredible. He story. was a badass, and the, yeah, the book is incredible. Ass. And reading about like the conditions of the prisons, and then like at one point they were in a box car, and it was getting shelled. They didn't know what to do, so they were sending guys through like this little ventilation shaft that was like a foot by like eight inches wide, trying to get guys through there. Jesus, it's crazy. So that he's an American hero if there ever was one. Joe Byerly, Jumping Joe is what they called him back then. <laughs> uh, great story as far as I'm concerned. Anyways, you got any more you want to get into? I don't think I can top that, man. <laughs> oh, I'm not even done. I still got two more good stories. So, so you ever heard of the Battle of Shiloh, the Civil War? Yep. So the Battle of Shiloh was bloody and it was messy. There were uh, around 3,000 dead and 16,000 injured. Wow. And the wounded, they were so wore out that, you know, they were so wore out from the terrible sleep and the marching and the, the moving and all the time just being injured that they would, they weren't able to fight off their infections. And a lot of a lot of them died from those infections. Which that was one of the worst parts of the Civil War. It wasn't yeah. getting shot. It was dying from the injury. Yeah. You know, because you can survive from a bullet. Yeah, but not and, on the stomach because yeah. you're going to get, <laughs> it's going to turn green. And once it turns green, they were like, we're not even going to treat it, basically. Right. But uh, when the sun went down, some weird shit started happening at the Battle of Shiloh. Okay. So this is true shit. So at night, some of the soldiers' wounds started to glow in the dark. You know, I, I've heard about this one. They I've started to glow. This. And it was not all the soldiers, only some of them. It was termed to be Angel's Glow because others who didn't have the glow were not so fortunate. But the majority of them lived that had the glow. Interesting. Right. So the truth came out eventually of what caused the glow in 2001. Okay. A 17-year-old named Bill Martin had a mom who was a microbiologist. And after visiting the, the, the battleground, Bill saw similarities with the tail of the soldiers. He noticed they had a lot in common to a uh, bioluminescent that his mom was studying. How he would relate that, I don't really know. <laughs> well, I mean, if you're into history and you know your mom's working on a project with a bioluminescent. Yeah. I mean. Maybe he's really into it too. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Bioluminescent bacteria that his mom was studying. It turns out that he was right. The glow comes from a parasite called nematodes who puked glowing bacteria, which would fight infections and other bacteria so that the nematode could feed and basically spread, do what the hell it wanted. Sure. So basically a puking parasite saved their lives. That's crazy. And I've heard that story before. That's really interesting. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. It's just crazy because they didn't know that shit back then. It's crazy how how far that technology has come. Yeah. And it really wasn't that long ago. Yeah. If you really think about it. That's crazy. It's really weird that it just happened. The circumstances existed for that to exist at that one time at Shiloh. Right. Back in the 1860s. Because I've never heard of this anywhere else. I've never heard of this story anywhere else. I've heard of this story before. I remember this one. But that's interesting. Crazy. Yeah. That's a good one and bioluminescence it's a weird thing it's kind of real like even like a lightning bug is considered bioluminescent right but it's weird it's interesting it doesn't always explain all the other paranormal shit that's happening in the world and a lot of people are gonna act like oh well it's just bioluminescence for everything which isn't true sure but in this case yeah i think it definitely was the what you how you explain it that bio that bacteria or whatever right so that's interesting that's a good one um you got any more with that one nope that one's done i've got another world war ii one this one was a it's a crazy battle but battle is a strong word have you ever heard of the battle of Los Angeles. Not the movie, but... Okay, then... 
I, I think. February 24th and February 25th, 1942. And this was a late night in the early morning. Back in early 1942, this was two months after Pearl Harbor, the American public and the generals really didn't know what Japan was going to do next. And it was speculated heavily that an attack on mainland United States was imminent. It was going to happen one of these days. Japan was just going to attack the mainland United States. Or they're going to stage an invasion. Now, invasion was going to be tricky to pull off because, obviously, you had to, there was a whole lot that had to happen to stage an invasion of the United States. Sure. But an attack was very plausible, at the, at the least. Because you didn't know exactly where, where they were out in the sea. You didn't know how quickly they could get their planes across. Obviously, Pearl Harbor was a huge surprise. Who was going to say they could have done the same thing to Los Angeles? Right. So, on February 24th, the Office of Naval Intelligence got word that an attack on California was imminent from J- the Japanese. So, the United States had uh, Navy ships and mostly anti-aircraft gun stationed in Los Angeles ready for something. They, they raised alarms said, get ready. The Japanese are getting ready to attack Los Angeles. Uh, at 3.16 a.m. on February 25th. Oh, wait, sorry. Before I get into that, they even ordered the entire county to be on a total blackout. Damn. So, no lights whatsoever because they thought an attack was coming in. They wanted the air guys to be able to see everything because they were positive the J- Japanese was getting ready to bomb L.A. Right. At 3.16 a.m., the 37th Coast Artillery Brigade opened fire with 50 caliber machine guns and 12.8 pound anti-aircraft shells. Damn. They opened fire at something and they, they fired on it for about an hour and they taught, fired a total of 1,440 rounds. Damn. And four, including mostly air, anti-aircraft shells. Sure. At something. But nobody actually knows what they were shooting at. So the report came in of an attack imminent from the Office of Navy and Naval Intelligence. They said, get ready. We're about to get attacked. At 3.16 a.m., they opened fire on something, fired at it for an hour, and nobody knows what they were shooting at. It's aliens, bro. That's pretty much the <laughs> that's pretty much is the Battle of Los Angeles was, was that. Um, there were no casualties. There was no records or evidence of planes because this was over the skies of LA. Uh, there were like reports that like a plane crashed in Hollywood and shit like that, but they never found any official wreckage of anything. Mm-hmm. Japan denied any attack whatsoever. They denied that they even tried to do anything that, at that point. And they even denied it after the war. They said, look, we never ran. We never had anything close to that happening. The closest thing they ever had was later on, they had a submarine launching planes over Seattle like later on in the war. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't anything to the degree of 1,400 artillery rounds getting fired off. Right. So the question is now, like, what the hell were they shooting at? Like, the president had to address it because people are thinking that the mainland's getting invaded at this point because you just launched 1,400 shells off in Los <laughs> Angeles. Right. So, obviously, the speculation is ridiculous as of what the hair were actually shooting at. And there is no official explanation. They just said it was a false alarm. A false alarm that fired off 1,400 <laughs> rounds over the course of an hour. And there were four separate there were four separate batteries firing at whatever it was. Right. Now, a lot of people are going to say they were shooting at a weather balloon, which could have been the case. You know what? It's always a damn weather balloon, man. And to be honest, the batteries were launching weather balloons because that was part of how they use their artillery because obviously you're shooting cannons up in the sky. You got to know what the weather's like up there so you know where the shells are going to land. So weather balloons were being used by these batteries, but there's no way that four different batteries are going to open up fire for an hour at one weather balloon. Yeah, for sure. So obviously there's a lot of speculation as to what else they could have been shooting at. UFO is a very likely one. There's a famous photo of spotlights and guns shooting at what looks like a UFO that was published shortly thereafter in the newspapers. Now the debunkers are going to be like, oh, well, it was edited. And it was edited, but only like to make it just look, it was a nighttime photo and they were just trying to make it like give it like night vision basically. Yeah, sure. So that's the only real editing that was going on was the pigment discoloration. Like contrast. Yeah, sure. yeah. So there are a lot of people speculating that they were shooting at a UFO. There's a lot of people that think that the Japan did launch an attack, which that doesn't make any sense because if you're shooting 1,400 shells up at something, you're going to hit it's something, gonna, it's gonna hit something eventually. And then, yeah, it was just kind of like written off as a... 
I can tell you what it was. What was it? My next thing I was going to talk about. All right. Well, let's just launch right into that one then. <laughs> we don't have to. No, I'm just I'm, saying that's it, all I got. It kind of relates. That's all I got about the Battle of L.A., really. Um, now, it, it could be my next thing. I'm not even kidding. All right. Now, everyone knows about the band the Foo Fighters. Yes. But do you, do you know where the name Foo Fighters originated from? Yeah, the Allied pilots were seeing UFOs. Yep. And it was like these little <laughs> balls of light, and they kind of figured that they were Nazi. <laughs> they like, thought that they were like Russian or Nazi. Super technology. Planes. But, well, they thought that they were like normal aircraft from Russia or Nazis. Yeah. But then they thought that they weren't because of the way they moved. They didn't know what it yeah. was. Yeah. And it's interesting. And I've researched this one before, but. But that's, and that's basically it, is they would see these things. And when they first saw them, they were like, oh, this is probably something Russian, something German, you know, whatever. But they saw them move. And it was really quick, faster than any spacecraft they'd ever seen go. Yeah. And bright lights. Basically, like, like, like bright balls of light was basically what they were. Yeah. And they were nicknamed Foo Fighters. And this was a very common thing. And there, yeah, there were hundreds of reports recorded. And some pilots after reported doing dogfights with them. Yes. With with the crafts themselves. Which is crazy. Which is absolutely insane. Why hasn't anyone ever talked about these? I don't know. I've seen them on a few like documentaries back in the day, but then people just stopped talking about them again. Yeah. And then the band took the name, which I have a conspiracy about that because <laughs> obviously I knew about the Foo Fighters as the the um as the weird spacecraft before I knew about the band. Mm-hmm. I have a conspiracy theory that when more attention always goes towards music and TV shows and popular media and video games than it does to like anything else. Mm-hmm. So I have a feeling that if you were to dig into the Foo Fighters, like what they the the spacecraft or the UFO things, that you would find something like really that points heavily towards alien presence. So the Foo Fighters were allowed to become this big hit band that they were to kind of get the name distracted and attach to something different. So that sure. when you search for Foo Fighters, all you'd find is about the band. You wouldn't find anything about the UFOs. Right. It would make it a lot harder to do research on that type of thing. I have Makes a theory. Sense. I have a theory because I've always found, like, if I'm on YouTube and I'm searching for something weird, I always go to them. It always is a music video first. But they always try to make you watch. Even if you could, you could search, like, any random phrase that's got conspiracy theory related, it always goes to a music video. <laughs> so. Funny. That's my little theory. But, yeah, the Foo Fighters were crazy. And it was a common-ass thing that these pilots yeah. were seeing. Like, hundreds of reports. So, what they were, probably aliens. It could have been German technology because they as we, we've talked about how they had stealth fighters they and had that U- shit. they had ufos they had some crazy things well they had flying saucers yeah i should say yeah but that's an interesting one hell yeah and we're gonna stay in the european theater for my next story sure are you ready are you done with the foo fighters yeah this one is pretty crazy now this is gonna come from may 5th 1945 and this is like the last days of the european theater this was after hitler even committed suicide well commit suicide is the official narrative but if you study the history of that hitler committing suicide is he's in argentina somewhere a perfect example of oh shit we show up in berlin and he's not here let's come up with a story because we're gonna look really 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 bad if hitler isn't dead right that's that's exactly what happened and when you look at the history of it nobody knows if hitler committed suicide it's all speculation right it could have been easily fabricated because the only people there were the was the red army right and they never actually reported finding hitler's body or they they're gonna have like this like story out but they never found it they never really saw the body like at one point they thought they knew where it was buried and they dug it up and it was a female 
female skull. So, <laughs> yeah. anyways, May 5th, 1945. At this point, high-ranking Germans and SS troops knew that the, the gig was up. Dude, we had the same one. Castle, Battle of Castle, yeah. it's her. <laughs> this was the first Damn thing it. I thought about when I, we decided on this topic. Yeah. Shit. <laughs> this is a good one. <laughs> it's a really good, like, this needs to be a movie. Yeah, this would definitely be a movie. Uh, do you want to talk, talk about it? or? It doesn't matter. I'll let, I'll let you get into it, and I'll, I'll add, because I've got, I've got, like, a paragraph written. So. Yeah, I mean, basically, yeah, like you were saying, that the U.S. and the Allies were trying to get as much evidence, evidence and witnesses as they could, so that they can get the Nazis with their war with their war crimes. Yep. And at the same time, Nazis are trying to destroy that same evidence. They're and trying they're, to get rid of it. They're getting rid of evidence, but they're also retreating because they thought they had a lot of strongholds in Austria and the Alps, and a lot of these SS troops thought that that's where they're going to make their stand mm-hmm. was in the Austrian Alps. Because to be honest, that's easily defendable territory if you got some infrastructure there the ss really thought that they were gonna play out for a while right down in austria so but um so basically a u.s tanker rushed there and to to the castle in austria and and real quick this is the battle for castle iter yes iter yep. i don't know if we actually said that so <laughs> yeah i don't think we did i'm sorry yeah the uh the castle iter in austria and this place had some pretty high profile prisoners of war yes being held there and now apparently this very drunk group of SS guys, they were gonna go and kill all these all these prisoners. Yeah, because they're witnesses. They have a lot of dirt on them. Yep, they're gonna go kill them. But the United States offered to protect these guys, pretty much. But these were all French prisoners, and included in the prisoner list. Did you have the prisoner list at all? Mm-hmm. Uh, Charles de Gaulle's sister was one of the prisoners, <laughs> and then French tennis player Jean Jan is probably how do you pronounce that G E A N? But a guy Jan sure Borotra, a French tennis player, like a big name French tennis player back then, mm-hmm. was all also a prisoner at this castle. Oh, shit. Which is interesting. So, yeah, like you said, the, like, the SS troops were going to kill them. And SS troops were the ones in charge of the castle. Mm-hmm. The prisoners were trying to get help because, you know, they thought they were going to get executed, basically. They were like, we need some help. SS was a pretty brutal uh, pretty brutal part of the Russian or the German military. So they thought they were going to get executed. Right. And what happened was they sent out this, like, Yugoslav electrician who was also a prisoner at the thing. They sent him out on a bike to go try to get help. And that's how they made contact. That's, that's with the ass. Americans. Now the the Americans they they helped defend these people with the uh, the Wehrmacht and yeah, Wehrmacht. Uh, the Wehrmacht and there were also some other local resistance fighters there too as well. Yeah, right. In total, they only had thirty six people there at the castle. And what happened was they sent this guy out on a bike to go help get help. The Americans responded, but the castle was like too far out of their territory, and the commander in charge wasn't going to let the regiment that wanted to go help help. So they got held up. Uh, a second group they sent out a second guy on a bike with a similar thing but this time in the Austria and they made contact with this German guy named Josef Gangel who was the commander of the that wire Wehrmacht which was what the German army was called yeah they they were not the same as the Nazis right it was a little bit different or they were a little bit different they were like normal uniform German yeah, soldiers more so but they ended up going rogue this Gangel guy and his little group mm-hmm. they went rogue against Nazi orders and they were helping out the Austrian resistance so they responded and then they met some American troops and they both decided to go help out the people at the castle. Right. And in total, it was like 25 guys between Germany and the United States. It's like the Americans had 15 and the Germans had 10 or something. Yeah. So it wasn't a lot of guys, but they had four tanks, which was a good thing. So they go to the castle and the French prisoners are there. And it's like, well, we don't know what the SS is going to do. So we're just going to hold the castle, basically. Apparently, the, the fight lasted six hours. Yeah, it didn't last very long. But a lot of the SS soldiers died. U- U.S. reinforcements ended up coming uh, later on yeah. and pushed the rest of them back. And I'm going to get into like a little bit of what what happened during all that.
that because it was a short battle, but they set up in this castle. They didn't really know what to expect. All they knew was heavy SS territory. At this point, the SS was banding up with whoever they could find, basically. It was mostly other SS troops. Mm-hmm. And you get a group together and they'd go take whatever they could take, basically, at this point. There wasn't really coordinated. So they had no idea who was going to show up. Except earlier on, the prisoners ended up taking the castle themselves because the SS just abandoned it for whatever reason mm-hmm. without executing them, which was interesting. So they show up and they're just these French prisoners, basically. Hmm. And they're like, shit, you couldn't have sent more guys. It's only the 26 of you, basically. So they decided to form up and between the prisoners and the Germans and the Americans there were 36 total people <laughs> with guns defending this place. Damn. And like 200 SS troops come out of the forest basically and start attacking. And the problem was is they didn't have a lot of ammo because they only had what the SS abandoned basically and what the Americans brought in. So there wasn't like they had a lot of ammo. But they set up and they held their ground for a little bit. But it was clear that the SS wasn't going to go away anytime soon. They needed help. That tennis player that John Borotra offered to jump the wall of the castle and just run the gauntlet because he knew that there was help in the area. They just didn't know exactly where the hell where the hell they were at. And they called in help, but the help didn't know where the castle was. So he jumped, he ran the gauntlet, he somehow made it all the way to the Allied front, <laughs> and a, a, a French-Canadian reporter was there, and he recognized him as a tennis player. Like, oh shit, <laughs> Jean Berotra's here. And they ended up coordinating the Allied, the rest of the Allied resistance back in, so they came in and they just wiped out the SS that was remaining. Oh shit. And the castle only had one casualty, and it was that Joseph Gangle, the German guy, ended up getting <laughs> hit in the head by a sniper. Oh, that's right. And it was because he was trying to pre- protect the former French Prime Minister from fire because that guy's being an idiot and was attracting fire. Right. He ended up pushing him out of the way and getting shot himself. Jeez. So he was the only only casualty on the good guy side. Damn. But this this story is crazy. It's insane. <laughs> it's, it's insane. It's, it's called the strangest battle. Yeah. And you had Germans and Americans fighting side by side against the SS, which is interesting. Which is incredible. This could definitely be a movie as well. And there's hauled up in this like old medieval castle, basically, which is the crazy <laughs> part. So um, that's all I got on that one. Do you have any more? Nope. I'm, I'm all, sorry. Right, that's we did, all I got. We did the same story, but it's such a good story. No, it's that a was good the, story. That was the first one. I've been wanting to talk about that <laughs> since we started the podcast, basically. The ca- battle for Castle Eiter. Eter. I don't know how it's pronounced. Something like that. But they were repurposing these old castles as prisons back then. And the, that castle had done a bunch of different things in the war, just depending on who controlled it at the time. Mm-hmm. And the SS, they were brutal. Yeah. They and were. That was like the VIP castle for the French. So luckily all those prisoners ended up surviving. And the war ended shortly thereafter. Right. Because this was like one of the last like major engagements in World War II. Yep. So that one's pretty good. I want to do one more real quick. Sure. We're going way back in history. Have you ever heard of the Battle of Stamford Bridge? Mm-mm. This one um, took place in England in 1066. Do you remember the Normandy invasion? You ever hear about that? The Normandy invasion of England? The Battle of Hastings? Okay. Yep. This was uh, prior to the Battle of Hastings. It was between Scandinavian, like the Vikings, basically, and uh, the Normans. So what happened was, it was just basically like a big-ass like Viking versus Norman's battle. Like It was like the Vikings' last stand, basically. What's interesting about this battle, and the reason why I'm bringing it up, this was back when you used like, axes and bows and arrows and shit. At one point, the entire battle ended up like coalescing on a bridge, and this one Viking dude with an axe held off, like held the bridge single-handedly by himself. <laughs> it was a giant Norse axeman, blocked the crossing, and single-handedly held up the entire English army. <laughs> 
They said he killed like at least forty guys and was defeated only because they sent some guys on a boat underneath and like Jesus. stabbed through the things and killed him that way you with serious? a spear. How big was this guy? They said he was a giant and he held the bridge himself. <laughs> I just I can't imagine like your entire culture is like fighting on like its last legs and you're standing there and you're holding the bridge by yourself, knowing <laughs> that the Vikings like you're the last like the great last great warrior of the Vikings. Right. I just always thought that that story was compelling. Have you ever seen the show Vikings? I've seen a little bit of it. Is it good? I haven't seen all of it. I heard it's really good, though. People like it. People don't like it. It, do- it just depends on who you are, I guess. I've I think w- it's more of a guy's show. For sure. I've watched a lot of The the Last Legion. That's really good. Okay, I haven't I, seen that I, one yet. Netflix, really good. I'm going to have to check that out. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm probably going to be watching Band of Brothers tonight. Awesome. You'll like it. Yeah, I'm really, I really like like the old-fashioned warrior stories. Like Definitely. That that guy, like, could you just imagine being that Viking? Like, you're the last Norseman in like, your kingdom. Like, one of the last great warriors. And you trained your entire life for this moment. And you held off the bridge by yourself <laughs> i just i that it, it's a compelling story to me so so interesting that's all i've got for the crazy war stories this could be we could do an entire podcast just on this, this could be a this could be a part one <laughs> yeah i'm happy with our material i feel like we did really well that's we really pretty good we usually don't do the same story so it's kind of interesting that we have the same right the same story today that's rare it's rare but uh and we kind of did this this is kind of like a fourth of july theme we did a lot of american a lot of american war stories which was good right a lot of great brave guys fought for our freedom so definitely yeah, we appreciate your guys of service and like Joe Byerly like how is there not a movie made about that guy like if we win the lottery we have to fund a movie about yeah, that guy I can't imagine they're, it's just such an incredible story <laughs> right but anyways we appreciate you guys listening to this episode uh, it's probably about time to get out of here we did okay on the ratings this week I'm gonna look up and see what we ended up with it wasn't a bad week I thought the last episode was pretty good the assassinations one people really liked the the outrageous quotes episode no shit people said that one was pretty good 1684 listens it's pretty good that's not bad last week we had 1600 right yeah so we did we had That's a pretty, pretty good, good we had a pretty good week we we're bringing up a couple new listeners awesome. obviously facebook's up twitter's up check it out guys it's all good stuff but i think it's about time for us to get out of here so tweet us at 30 in the tell us about any battle maybe you've been in yeah please tweet us about any interesting battles that you know about if you've been in any battles definitely share uh, your story good stuff i'm going to the air force museum next week so awesome maybe i'll have some more yeah definitely uh, bring back some good material definitely i'll be re- and i'll be doing some reading in the meantime as well but i think this was a good episode so thank you very much guys for listening peace definitely and be sure to share the stuff share the posts stare God. <laughs> share the stuff share the stuff <laughs> be sure to share shit seashells seashells that's rough this is this is not my best cot Be sure to share. <laughs> Why don't you just say it? You just want to say it? Be sure. Be sure to share our shit. Have you ever heard of the Battle of Los Angeles? Not the movie, but okay. Then I I think. Do you have this one down? No. Are you sure? I'm positive. Okay. You haven't heard of the Battle of Los Angeles during World War II? The Battle of Los Angeles. Yes. Uh-huh. So in on February 24th and February 25th, 1942. Okay, real quick. Sorry, cut. What? What were you like questioning? Like, I'm just curious. I thought I thought you were like referencing the movie at first. Oh, okay. Okay, no. 
I'm not talking about the movie at all. Okay, there, there's, sure. There was an actual Battle of Los Angeles. Okay. And, okay. In World War Two. Yes. Okay. Like okay. people like died. Are you talking about like Los Angeles, California? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so I'm gonna get into it. Okay. Okay. Get it, yeah. It's not the movies. It's not the movie. Take the movie out of your head. The movie's out of my head. Okay. So I guess you, you're you're baffled at is the fact that there was a battle of Los Angeles. Yeah. Okay. Sure. So this is probably be our worst news or worst episode yet. <laughs> not true. Because I'm getting tired. I'm not gonna lie. I can tell you're pretty <laughs> tired too. But we're gonna muscle on through. We're gonna do it. 